Thank you for joining us online at Hauser Community Church. Directly after the message, we'll tell you how to contact us if you have any questions. Now let's join the speaker as he begins his sermon. Please bow your heads and join me in the pastoral prayer. Father, as we gather on Father's Day, we are thankful that you are a good, good Father, that you alone are holy and righteous and sovereign, that you are worthy of praise, full of grace, mercy, and love. I pray that today as fathers that we would be the spiritual leaders of our home and family that you have blessed us with, that we would strive to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we'd raise our kids in your word, pointing them always to you, and forgive us, Lord, where we continually fail and ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we lift up Riverview Christian this morning and their pastor, Daniel Fox, as he's headed to uh, Mexico on a mission trip. I just pray that uh, souls will be saved and that lives will be changed. I also pray that their church will be a light on a hill in our community. I pray as Michael Smith teaches us here from your word, that your Holy Spirit will be working in our hearts to push us closer to you, and that we will walk out of church today applying what your spirit instills in our hearts. Lord, we lift up those that are hurting today, uh, whether they lost a loved one, struggling in a relationship, overcome with depression or anxiety, maybe financial issues, loss of a job, struggling to overcome certain sins in their lives. Whatever it is, Lord, uh, help us to depend on you, to cast our cares on you because you care for us, and that only you can provide a peace that passes all understanding. Give us strength to face today. Father, be with our leaders. I pray that they will turn to you. I pray for salvation and revival in our country, and I ask that it begins in each and every one of us. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. In your precious name of Jesus, amen. Michael Smith uh, will be our speaker this morning. He and his family are serving Wycliffe in Vanuatu, translating the New Testament into a local dialect. Uh, thank you, Michael, for bringing us the word this morning. Oh, it is so nice to be back here. Hello, everybody. So, a lot of you people know me. Uh, I'm Michael Smith. And I'm one of your missionaries. I represent you guys in the little country of Vanuatu. But today I have a greater claim to fame. I'm a father. So there's my family up there. Uh, Three kids, Alexander, Denim, and Eleanor. They're over here listening this morning. So happy Father's Day to me, guys. Happy Father's Day. Would you mind dismissing the kids? Oh, kids, you're allowed to go now. We're going to talk about dad stuff. You don't want to be here. There's going to be dad jokes. It's bad. We're supposed to pray for you, too. Father in heaven, I thank you for these children. I thank you for giving them to us, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us take great, great care of them. As we send them out today, I pray that you would have prepared good things for them to enjoy and to learn from. Take good care of them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey Michael, I don't know how I don't know how to be a father because I don't need because me I'm not a father because I don't mm-hmm. have any kids. Well, we're actually going to talk about someone today who was a father who didn't have kids. So maybe there's something here for you anyway. 
Now, in the background there, you can see bamboo, because we live on a little island in the Pacific. Uh, now, I hope it's not a floating island. No, I think it might be fun if it's a floating island. Sometimes it might float away from the hot part of the ocean. But we're stuck there. Now, we are closer to the sun than Texas. Technically, yeah. Then, you know, you should put you should put the motor on it. Oh, I'll think about that. All right. If you want to see more pictures and stuff, we've actually got a table set up in the fellowship hall with you know photos and little knickknacks. Uh, so if you want to hear about all that missionary stuff, find me after. Today we're going to do Father's Day sermon. Happy Father's Day. Being a father is a great job, but it comes with some pretty hefty responsibility. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. God expects us as parents to be spiritual leaders for our children. Sometimes that's kind of hard. I remember my dad quoted this verse at the dinner table one time, and my brother immediately responded with, a pendant around your neck, ready to choke you if you do wrong. <laughs> yeah. So God wants us to be spiritual leaders, but what does that actually look like? If I was going to point at you and say, look, he's being a spiritual leader right now. What is it that I saw him doing? I don't know. It's kind of tricky, isn't it? But if you're doing spiritually leaders, spiritual leadership well, you're probably leading by example, right? God gives us principles. Paul wrote these couple verses to people that he mentored. They were living in such a way that anyone who paid attention noticed that something different was in them. Paul wrote, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts to be known and read by all. You show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The contents of their hearts was affecting how they lived, and it stood out. So if I point at you and say, you're showing spiritual leadership right now. I've caught you doing something that only a Christian would do. And you're doing it when people are watching. As a parent, you're doing it in front of your kids. Now God gives lots of principles to live by, spiritual things, right? Do not murder, do not envy, I desire mercy, or mercy is better than sacrifice, right? Principles are great, but how do you like do them? 
How can I just do principles? But what's much better is an example. If I say, read the manual and do what it says, that's not very helpful sometimes. But if I say, go like this, and then I do it in front of you, that works. That works for me. If I see someone do it in front of me, then I can imitate them. An example is so much better than just a list of principles. Today's example of great parenting is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had no wife. He had no children born to him. But he did have many people that he thought of as his children. The Apostle Paul led tons of people to Christ. He traveled around. He started churches. He would go to a city where no one knew the Lord. He'd introduce himself to people, teach them about the Lord, lead them to Christ, and become their spiritual father. He would mentor them. And he wouldn't just start the church and leave and forget about them. He continued to care. He would write. He would visit. He would do whatever he could to still be involved in their lives. Today I want to look at an example of his fathering skills at work as he leads two of his spiritual children to resolve a serious conflict. We're going to look at the book of Philemon. It's on page 1186 in your pew Bible. The whole book is one page long, 25 verses. So when Greg gets back and you continue through Acts, you can say, well, the other guy did a whole book in one day. <laughs> so this book of the Bible is actually a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a man named Philemon. So Philemon gets to be the title of the book. Philemon was probably a rich man. He lived in a city called Colossae. And he was someone that Paul led to the Lord. Paul wrote this letter at the same time that he wrote the letter to the Colossians. So if you compare Philemon with Colossians, you'll see that the, the person that it says is delivering the letter is the same person talked about in this letter here. So what's the backstory of this letter? Here's my slide of all of the backstory that we know for sure. You'll notice it's blank. All that we know about these guys comes from reading between the lines in this letter. There's a tiny bit that church history mentions about one of the characters uh, afterwards. But what I'm going to tell you now is all of what you know, we conclude by looking at this. So this letter reveals the story of two men, Philemon and Onesimus. It's clear from what is written here that Philemon was a slave owner and Onesimus was his runaway slave. Slavery was very common in the Roman Empire. 10 to 15% of the entire population were slaves at any given time. In the cities, there were more slaves per person, probably about 25% of the people living in cities were slaves. You couldn't look at a person and know whether they were the slave or not 
Because slave could be any nationality, any ethnicity. Uh, slaves came from the wars of conquest. The Romans were famous for building this giant empire. They would send out their armies to conquer, and the slave traders would go with the armies. There was one time where Julius Caesar went and attacked the province in Gaul. He defeated it and immediately sold the entire population of the province into slavery on the spot, 53,000 people. So those people are imported into the empire and they take all kinds of jobs. Uh, it's no surprise that about half of all the slaves were owned by the one percenters. So half of the people in the city who are slaves are owned by just 1% or less than 1% of the population. And those slaves can hold any job. Out in the country, they were used for agricultural labor. But in the city, they could be laborers, they could be lawyers, they could be doctors. If you wanted to publish a best-selling book like the Bible, you would just go to the marketplace and you would buy slaves who knew how to read and write, educated slaves. You'd get 20 of them in a room, you'd hand one a copy of the Bible, and you'd have him read it out loud, and everyone else in the room would write it down as they heard it. And that's how you do a publishing company. So, so slaves could be anybody. But slaves had no rights. No rights at all. They owned you body and soul, and they could do anything they want you, up to killing you. If you don't please your master, it's bad for you. And there's nobody to appeal to. You can't just go down and say, oh, he's mistreating me, I should be let go. That doesn't work. Slaves were expected to show total loyalty, total loyalty to their owners. There was even a case one time where the leaders in Rome were trying to catch somebody and he'd run away. And they grabbed one of his slaves and they said, you need to tell us where he went. And the guy says, I can't do that. I'm a slave. I have to be loyal. And they say, we don't care. You have to tell us anyway. And he said, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you if you set me free. They agreed. He told them where to find the guy who ran away. They said, that's great. You're now officially free. And then they took him up on top of the city wall and threw him over the wall because he had showed disloyalty. So don't be a slave, but if you are a slave, don't betray your master. Now, for Philemon and Onesimus in particular, we don't know their backstory. We do not know how Onesimus wound up a slave, how Philemon ended up his owner, or what led Onesimus to book it. But run away he did, and he got as far away as Rome, 1,200 miles. So this is before trains and cars, there were boats, but imagine taking off on the run, you're a wanted man, and you manage to get 12,000 miles away and wind up in the capital of the empire as a runaway slave. Onesimus thought he made it away clean, I think, but in Rome, he met the Apostle Paul, and his life was turned around. Paul intersects our drama from an unlikely place. Paul was in jail. Paul spent 
several sessions of his life in jail. Uh, we don't know exactly which one this was. The Bible doesn't tell us in particular. But the historical context suggests that he's in Rome. So this was one of Paul's better imprisonments. He's awaiting trial before the emperor, but the emperor doesn't have a grudge against him. And so this is kind of a trendy time for Paul to be in jail. You could be in this kind of jail and still be cool. This was what they called house arrest. They would chain a guard to you, full time, 24 hours a day, there's someone chained to you to make sure you can't go anywhere. You're not allowed to leave the house, but if you've got a house to live in, you can live in it. If you've got friends, they can provide you clothes and your food. In fact, they'd better because the guards aren't going to give you any food. And if you think about it, I would rather have my friends feeding me than, you know, the guards. So even though Paul was officially a prisoner, he could continue his work. He couldn't go out, but people could come to him. And so Paul had this ministry in prison of evangelism, of teaching, and of writing letters to all the different churches that he'd started. And one of the people that he met in this way was this runaway slave, Onesimus. And Onesimus actually proved to be a really stand-up guy. And Paul started to use him for ministry. But then at some point along in here, Paul discovers that Onesimus is a runaway. And he's not just any runaway. He's a runaway slave who belongs to someone else that Paul knows. He belongs to Philemon, who Paul had met on one of his missionary journeys and led to the Lord. So Paul has his conundrum. He's got this person who's escaped this terrible circumstance, but society condemns, and it's people he knows. Paul decided to send Onesimus back to Philemon. Not to continue in a horrible situation, but to establish a new relationship as Christian brothers. So that's where we find ourselves. That's the backstory as we start this letter. Onesimus has shown up at Philemon's house. The runaway slave is here with a letter from the Apostle Paul. Verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Aristippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Timothy is Paul's sidekick. He goes everywhere with Paul. These other people are Philemon, and the other leaders of the church. So there's a church that meets in Philemon's home. That implies that Philemon is a pastor. Paul is writing this letter, and he's not just writing it to Philemon. He's writing it for the whole church. The whole church gets to witness the drama hour here as Onesimus and Philemon are reunited. Paul wants there to be social pressure, right, to do the right thing. We call it accountability when we're Christians. We don't call it peer pressure, it's accountability. But it's also giving Philemon the chance to be a good witness. Paul continues, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is just continuing Paul's normal greeting. He starts almost every letter of his this way, and he likes to follow it up with a prayer of blessing. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul loves this person. This is not a half-hearted greeting. Paul's not the kind of guy who's going to say things he doesn't mean. Paul greatly values Philemon's impact in the church. This, thing's, this greeting's a little funny, too. A lot of times, Paul will bless people who say, may your knowledge of the Lord bring you tremendous blessing. But here, Paul kind of spins it a little funny. He says, your knowledge is bringing blessing. And the way that he puts it, he's kind of implying that Philemon is not just blessing himself, he's blessing others. That's what Paul is all about. Paul wants to teach people about the Lord. He wants that knowledge to change their lives, to lift them up, to give them joy and hope in hard times. But where is Paul? He's stuck in jail. He can't walk out of his front door to go to the marketplace, to go to church, to teach. But here's Philemon that Paul trained. Philemon is carrying on exactly the work that Paul wishes he was free to do. And so Paul, even though he's in prison, can think about Philemon and be glad. Paul's out of the game, but the people that he trained up are taking over for him. And that gives Paul strength to carry on. But at the same time, there's something going on that Paul needs to deal with, like a father needs to deal with his son. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Paul's about to ask for something that he could demand. Paul talks about what is required. I don't like that in this translation. This should be the word duty. I could command you to do your duty. That's not a big word these days, right? Uh, some of us, especially those in the military, know that word, and it means a lot. Our culture has kind of lost that. I think that I would love to see that come back. We're more worried about rights now than duty, but they come together. Paul says, you've got a duty, and you need to do it. And I could demand it, but I'm not going to. Paul certainly has the authority. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has seen visions of the Lord Jesus, and Jesus put him in charge of churches. Paul is also Philemon's mentor. He's a father figure to him. That comes with a certain authority to order Philemon around. But Paul says, we're going to put that on the shelf. I want you to do this out of love. 
And Paul plays the guilt card. I'm an old man now and a prisoner. So he's laying on a little thick. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He's talking about Onesimus, Philemon's slave. And when he says, I became his father, he means that he led Philemon to the Lord. And he has become Onesimus's spiritual father in the same way that he is Philemon's spiritual father. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. This is a dad joke. This is his bona fide to claim Onesimus as his son. The word Onesimus is not just a name, it also has a meaning. It means useful. So here's this slave whose name is useful. I don't know if that was just a slave name or his given name at birth, but that's what his name is. And he became useless by running away. So Mr. Useful was not useful to you, but now he's super useful to me, and now he's going to be useful to you again. I think Paul decided he needed a little joke to lighten things up here. And being a dad, uh, history records that when he and Timothy were writing this down, Paul was dictating, and he's like, I need to lighten this up. Write this, Timothy. How does Moses start his morning? He brews a pot of coffee. <laughs> and Timothy's like, no, you cannot put that in. And Paul's like, okay, how about this? Hey, Philemon, do you need an ark? I know a guy. <laughs> and Timothy wouldn't write that down either, and they settled on this. But Paul says, I am sending Onesimus back to you Sending my very heart. Onesimus is not just another minion. Paul really cares about him. I translated this book. The reason we're doing this sermon is because I translated this book last year. Maybe the end of the year before. And I just liked it so much that I had to preach it. I've been doing all my preaching lately in two languages. Bislama and Modlap. So everything I say, I have to say twice. Once in Bisama and once in Motlap. So if you've noticed me repeating myself a little bit, that's probably why. And if I start to sound like I'm talking another language, just go like this, and I'll, I'll straighten out. So we've got a word for this in Motlap. Ibhek, my cherished person. Paul cares what happens to Onesimus. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Paul thought about not sending Onesimus back. That makes a lot of sense, right? Paul's a Jew. Jews know about slavery. The kind of slavery practiced in Rome was illegal under Old Testament law. It carried the death penalty. In fact, under Jewish Old Testament law, it was illegal to send home a runaway slave. 
But this is not the Hebrew nation. This is Rome. This is the Roman Empire, and it's under Roman law. But still morally, Paul is not fooled by what's legal and illegal. He knows about right and wrong. Paul considered not even sending him back. He knows Philemon. Philemon would love for Paul to have more help, right? Philemon is also a minister. He gets it. He knows why Paul would need a hand. And what better way than someone from Philemon's own household? But that's just an excuse. That's not Philemon actually making a choice. So I can't steal your sandwich and say you're a nice guy for sharing your food, right? Because that's not what happened. So Paul says, I couldn't do that. I'd have loved to, but I couldn't because that's not what it would have been, right? I'm sending him back to you. If you want to send it back to me, that's great. But he's yours. And then Paul goes on. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, that means slave, let's just say slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul is sending back this slave to his master, and he's telling the master, I don't want you to treat him as a slave. I want him to treat you as your brother. Or I want you to treat him as your brother. Not someone to abuse, not someone to take revenge on, not someone to sell, someone who is no longer your social inferior, someone who is your brother, who you have a duty to love and to care for. He's not just asking for cancellation of the slave relationship. He's asking for it to be replaced by something completely different. And this is a big ask. Philemon's culture says that he has a right to do whatever he wants with this runaway. It seems likely from the context here that Philemon didn't just steal himself, right, by running away, but he probably stole money or something from Philemon in order to make that 12,000 mile trip, right? So, so there's, there's something real that Philemon has against Onesimus. But Paul is suggesting here that God's hand was at work in these circumstances. How can you have someone run away in a little town in Turkey and end up in Rome and meet the guy who led your former master to the Lord? Come on, that sounds like a God thing, right? So... Paul has chosen to send him back. But Paul doesn't just drop him in Philemon's lap. He wants to make sure this is going to come out the right way. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul is not making this just about Onesimus and Philemon. 
This is now about Paul and Philemon. And Paul is taking responsibility for whatever bad thing Onesimus did. He's saying, I don't care what it was. It's mine now. You put that on me. Take your pound of flesh from my body and not from his. Paul does this sometimes. He takes the, the parchment away from his secretary, away from Timothy, and he writes it himself with his big old letters. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Okay, that makes it hard to collect now, Paul. <laughs> but Paul's serious here. He's saying, take it out on me, not on him. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. I love Paul's audacity here. He's not afraid to do the big ask. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. The rest of the letter is just normal letter-ending stuff. Uh, I'll just read it. I don't have a slide for it. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demos, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So this is our example of fatherhood today. This is a father correcting one son and standing up for another. It's a father interceding in a broken family dynamic. I wish that wasn't relevant, but that's so common in today's world. So let's look a little closer at what Paul's doing here so we can see his technique. All right, show me. Oh, I missed it. Show me again. Let's just look a little closer so we can see what makes this effective for Paul in this circumstance. First of all, Paul wants harmony for his children. He doesn't just need a quiet house. You know, 12,000 miles separation makes the house quiet. But Paul wants harmony. My wife's trying to tell me something, but I couldn't hear. 1,200. 1,200. Oh, did I say 12,000? Sorry. Thinking Vanuatu. 1,200 miles makes for a quiet house. But Paul cares about the relationships in his family. That's something that we as leaders in our families need to do. It's not enough just to have quiet. It needs to be real harmony. And so Paul wants Philemon to start a completely new relationship with Onesimus. Not the inherently broken relationship of slave and master, you know, power and powerless, but he wants them to be brothers. And that's important enough that Paul is willing to risk Onesimus' life.
Now, it's probably true that word would get back to, to Philemon one way or another that Onesimus had shown up and was hanging out with Paul. That could make Paul look bad. But I don't think that's real, that, that that is Paul's main motivation here. Paul could have dealt with that situation without putting himself on the line. But instead, he chooses to stick his neck out. And when he does, Paul does not play the blame game. All right. Paul could have written this letter and say, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, and you need to ask his forgiveness. Right? Come on, slavery. But that's not what Paul does. He just doesn't even bring that into the picture. He sends Onesimus back to ask for Philemon's forgiveness. He doesn't make this about Philemon being bad. He makes it about the new thing that he wants for the both of them. He lets Jesus take the hit for Philemon's sin. He doesn't need Philemon to grovel. He doesn't need Philemon to squirm. He just wants them to start over and to start in a good way. So let's keep out of the weeds when we try and intercede. And let's go straight to treating each other as loving family members. Come on, what a time saver that's going to be. Now, Paul chooses not to throw his weight around. I'm the dad. If I start to yell and slam the table with my hand, things are going to happen. You know, I'm going to get motion, I'm going to get noise, but I may not get a very good result. You know, I might get back to a quiet house, but it's not because things are going great, right? So it's hard to use authority as a human being without abusing it. And Paul tries to step away from his authority and to focus on love. If I have been a good father to you, then out of love, please do this. But I'm not going to force you. It's scary to try that, right? It's scary to, to do that, but that's what Paul does. He appeals to love. And Paul puts himself on the line. He offers to take the consequences in order to make this new relationship possible. Has someone ever done that in your life? Offered to take your consequences? If they have, I bet that you remember it. I bet that it had a real effect on you. And sometimes as parents, we may be in that position for our own children. So Paul knows that there's bad blood, and he says, put it on me. This is about his love for Onesimus to protect him, but it's also about his love for Philemon. Because Paul knows that if there's some wrong relationship, some sin that is in your life, then that's like a cancer that cannot fail to harm you. And Paul can't just leave this alone in the same way that you would not ignore cancer that you see growing on your child's face. 
And when Paul does this, he's taking a page from Jesus' book. He is demonstrating what Jesus does for us. Jesus knows that we were born with a broken relationship with our Father in heaven. And he chose to, to put himself into our shoes. He came to this world, he lived as a human being, and he chose to take responsibility for our sins. He was baptized in the River Jordan with a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He said, count me with the sinners. And today, he stands before the Father. And he says, do you see that person? Whatever they did, put that on me. And I will lay it at the foot of the cross. So Jesus intercedes for us with the Father in heaven the same way that Paul is interceding for Onesimus with Philemon. He's saying, start a new relationship and if there's any justice that needs to be done, take it out of me. So who are you today? All right, we've got three characters in this story. Maybe today you're like Onesimus. You know that there's someone who rightfully has something against you. you would not dare show your face to that person. A relationship that is broken, perhaps you've got some distance. And you're enjoying that distance. But is this something that God wants? Is this something that you need to deal with? If so, I hope you've got a Paul that can help you. Jesus wants harmony for you. And he wants to help you to put that to rest. Sometimes just Jesus in the room is enough. Sometimes you need another person. Don't be afraid to reach out to someone that you trust who you know could be your Paul, who could go with you to meet that person, a counselor, a pastor, a family member. I don't know. Maybe today you're Phil Lehman. Maybe today there's someone that is afraid to show their face to you. Maybe it's time to take your revenge out on Jesus so that they can come back. I don't know what that looks like for you. But if the Holy Spirit's putting that in your heart, don't ignore it. Because it's not just about the other person, it's also about you and God. It's also about you being free. Maybe you're a Paul. Maybe you are a father of children who are estranged. Something happened. It's hard to live in the same house with another human being. Maybe there's something there that you as a parent can begin to bring healing for. Ask your wife. They always seem to be smart about these things. They'll tell you what to do. Um, but that could be your position today. So... How does the story end? Right? The letter cuts off here. We don't get to know. It's so annoying. Paul sends this letter 
we got all excited. Slavery, who's in the wrong? Is he gonna kill him? Is he gonna let him go? Are they gonna be brothers? We don't actually know how this played out. Church history does record the name Onesimus. There was an Onesimus who became a bishop and took over Timothy's church when Timothy couldn't be the bishop anymore. So we take that as a hopeful sign that this worked out well. But God does this sometimes. He gives us a story. He gets us right up to the cliffhanger and then he lets it go. Why does he do that? He does that so that we can't end the story comfortably. Because now the story stops being about Onesimus and Philemon and it becomes about us. Your story has not finished yet. If you arrived here today with baggage, this is your cliffhanger. This is up to you to resolve with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of people that you trust. But the ball is now in your court. Paul was confident of his children. He was confident in Philemon's character. He was confident that Philemon would do the right thing. And so he made sure the whole church was watching. They were there to see what Philemon chose to do, whether he chose love and forgiveness or chose to insist on his rights. But Paul was confident in his children. He was confident that the love of God active in their lives would lead them to a good result. So I invite you, if the Spirit of God is kind of looming on you right now, take that as a sign that God is confident that His love can bring about something healthy, something that you will be glad you went through the trouble, the pain, the fear to do. And also I have to remind you, your children are watching. You yourselves are a letter written on our hearts to be known and read by all. You show us, you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The people that Paul wrote these words to are dead and gone. But today, these words are now for us. These words are for you. You are God's letter to your children. If they see you go out on a limb to resolve a broken relationship, then that is you leading them spiritually. That is you showing them what to do, saying, go like this. It's going to hurt. You're going to cry. And at the end of the day, you're going to be filled with joy. But go like this. So go out of this building today and be God's letter to your family. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these examples that you leave us. You don't just give us a principle and say, figure it out. But you give us people who made mistakes and who did things right sometimes. And you say, go like this. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom to carry out 
your will for love and restoration. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.